Hello and welcome to the week 11 edition of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Bullhawk Mallows, and with me as always, Marcus, I own Fantasy Football Henson. How are you, buddy? Good, thank you. Hello. Good, right, let's got a lot to cover this week, lots of action, lots of great performances, so we're going to go straight into the Houston-Jacksonville game this week. Lots of things to come out of that game. First thing I want to mention, Matt Sharp tying the records for yards in a game. Uh, tied with Warren Moon now in the Super Bowl era, 527 oh. yards. Yeah, what a performance! Absolutely, I think it was incredible. Him and uh, him and Andre Johnson really clicking out. But it's also it was the 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 younger receivers also coming out to uh, sort of make uh, shine light on uh, what they can actually bring to the team or what performance all round really. Yeah, I think it's Garrett, isn't it? Their other tight end because yeah. Daniels was obviously he was struggling with his hip injury, so you could tell. they relied you could a lot. Tell. On, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was most impressed with the way that they used all their formations. You would think with the amount of throwing that came out, sometimes the defenses could um, start to understand where they're going from. But they obviously had enough of game plan, enough variation that Jacksonville each and every time just didn't have an answer for it. I know what a performance from Jacksonville as well. I mean. I'm sure last week we both looked at that game and we just thought that's got Houston destroying the Jaguars all over it. But Blaine Galbert goes down injured in the first quarter. Chad Henney comes in and makes a hell of a difference to that offense. Yes, I mean, what do you call it? I have had uh, certain appreciations towards Blaine Gabbert since he actually came into the league. I mean, we were uh, aghast towards Tim Tebow's passing credentials, but Blaine Gabbert isn't much better, yeah. to be honest. Um, so I always found it weird that Jaguars built a very sort of... What, like a gunslinging offence kind yeah, of? Yeah, they've kind of built it so that way you can basically... You've got the pound with... Um, okay. Yeah. And then you suddenly come in, they they filled it with weapons. Like, you've got the very tall seashell shorts. He's, what, 6'6"? Six, six? I tell you what, he's lightning as well, isn't he? Oh, he's so quick. But then they went and picked up Blackman for just that reason. Again, he's something silly, like 6'5". Nice big tall receivers, so that way they'd have someone to pass to. You've got Mercedes Lewis. Lewis is a great tight end. Great tight end. You would have thought they would have put behind that, you know, you're going to go and grab this this ultimate um, lightning-fast ship. You know, say if you if you use a metaphor as it's a speedboat, you would have thought you would have put top A grade championship style pilot behind it. But clearly they sat there and they got a, a tugboat captain. Yeah. I mean, who else could they have had the year Gabbert got drafted? Wasn't that the same year you had people like Cam Newton come out and stuff like that? I mean, but yeah, they missed out on obviously the number one pick because Cam Newton went straight to the Panthers because they were obviously so dire the year before. But I mean, yeah, there wasn't that many great quarterbacks. There wasn't. There wasn't. It was. It was quite. It's one of those random ones where you say it's quite sparse, actually, as it were. Um, I'm trying to think of any other names from the say. What is it? Would been O ten. Uh, yeah, 2010. It's been a 2010 draft. Yeah. Um, in 2010 draft, I can't think of any other sort of real quarterback names. The um, I guess uh, the only other one that sort of comes to mind, though I wouldn't say great again, is uh, you had oh, what was his name? Not uh, the Arizona, not Skelton, not Kolb, not Kolb. Um, no, yes, yeah, Kolb. Kevin yeah. Kolb. Yeah. Oh, he came out of the the same yeah. draft as Gabbert. Yeah, he did. And then oh, okay. he went and sat behind Michael Vick. Yeah, sat behind him in Philly for. For on the bench, but again, Kevin Cole, you know, you've seen that he he had a couple of flashes of brilliance. Got he seems to have this contract syndrome that everyone seems to come up with recently. Contractitis. Yeah. Where Don't talk to me about that with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You you, you, you sign on the dotted line, and uh, all your all your talent leaves you with the pen. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're signing away your talent. Yeah. <laughs> but they just don't know that when you're signing the contract. Ah, <laughs> deal with the devil, that's why. But no, I, I, don't, I don't understand why you'd put in all these progresses. But fair play to them, like you said, to keep it a close game. You, that did have a sort of, kind of almost like the New England game sort of written about it, really. Yeah. There was one thing that happened in overtime that I wanted to bring up. Because having watched the England-Australia rugby at, at the weekend, it just kind of made me think about, in rugby if a team commits so many penalties or a blatant penalty when a team's about to score yeah granted say if you're in a scrum or a mall or something like that and and someone pulls it down or chances are you're going to score from the move off the scrum it's not guaranteed because you could still fumble the ball there's a lot of variables around it but you're awarded a penalty try because chances are you're going to score mm. in overtime yeah. Matt Sharp threw a pass to Martin where he's been defended by Ross yeah. And on about the 21-yard line, Ross lost his coverage and instead of letting Martin score the touchdown, pulled him down. So he fell over and the ball just went sailing over their heads into the corner of the end zone. Surely in a situation like that where you know a touchdown wins the game, should there perhaps be a penalty touchdown? Because after that, Houston had to score a, f- scored a field goal off that drive, which then meant Jacksonville got a possession to try and win it. And Jacksonville should have won it with that <laughs> possession. So yeah. surely... He's basically blatantly cheated and got away with it. What do you think? It depends, yes. It's kind of like the, the last man in um, in English football where, you know, it's a straight red. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how that it stands would, on it. That would be the other argument, actually. If not a penalty try, eject them from the game and the defence can't replace the player. So then you have a 10-man D. You have a 10-man defence, yeah. It depends. It's definitely one that would have to it would shape the core of the rule book, really. So... It's one that's not going to be delved into lightly. It's one that, if people are now looking into it, we're probably going to have to wait f- two, three years for them to come up with a decision once uh, it's gone through the numerous board committees and stuff like that. I'm not sure where I personally stand on it because it's one of those things of giving away... Um, sometimes you do have to give away a penalty, in essence, to save a greater, the greater good, as it were. You know, Sometimes you have to commit the wrong. Um, like but- Suarez in the 2010 <laughs> World Cup where he handballed on the line got sent off Garner missed the penalty he ran off down the tunnel celebrating we're, we're, we're not going to get into that here <laughs> in yeah we discussion. probably shouldn't but, but it's um, the same what I'm saying is it's the same sort of scenario there has to be a there has to be a yeah. deterrent and a punishment if you're going to commit such a blatant foul yeah I mean that's the, it's the difference when you know I mean the fact is every time most pass interference though you could o- often claim many pass interferences are like that so I'm not sure where it would come from in the stems of the game where something like that you might have to more go look towards a sin bin where you're out of the play for a determinate number of time because I think there are sometimes up you know, I can think sometimes five six times in a game where you see a pass interference call where the coverage the defenders just beat you know the guy's better than you he's beating you on this route and literally if he gets over you it's pretty much going to be you chasing him and a safety possibly going in for a, a, a counter um, interception route but um, yeah because otherwise does at that point then you know what classes as numerously blatant disregard for the rules to the point where you're you're inflicting as you were it's a sense of cheating with that one rather than a sense of just playing the game it was that, that I would was. say you draw the line at what happened on Sunday when he pulled someone down knowing he was going to score a touchdown if he didn't pull him down <laughs> I, I, that's, I still that's find where it, I stand yeah that. I still find it hard to it's because then of course you go into um, 
definitives and opinions so therefore how do you uh, coach that to your referees you know one referee would see that another referee might see someone you know a lighter pass uh, interference call and then uh, in regards to that do you then propose to take them onto the the offense where the offensive person causes pass interference which would blatantly stop from a pick six happening the same would have to apply on both exactly. sides of the ball. Yes, definitely. So, um, so there you go. I mean, it's it's going to be so difficult to try and try and referee that on the principles of what is and what isn't. I'd I'd say if something comes in, uh, this is something that might come in two or three years time. I think would be it's something like that. It's just it really kicks out the spirit of the game because it is quite so blatant. Yeah, maybe not necessarily then on every pass interference call, but you would have to maybe adopt it to say something like tripping or pulling down. Because if you're making contact, granted that it's still the same sort of thing, but not as severe. Whereas if you physically get rid of them out of the play by yeah, tripping yeah. them or pulling them it, down, maybe such, that's such, where you yeah, would then such a display where it is literally the um, the exhortation of um, removing a player from any chance of play. Whereas of course, say you're running down the sideline, you grab hold of their arm, but they still can possibly make a one-handed awesome grab yeah. to foil your 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 efforts with the pass interference, but like you say in that one where it's basically like the well I'd rather give up the penalty because you won't score and then uh, there's no chance if I uh, drag you down with me I think yeah something like that you could definitely see the need for a a stronger deterrent because what stops you doing that in um, an even more crucial situation say playoffs exactly this is why it's been highlighted for me in an overtime game so I'm hoping someone would have picked it up and then you you need to do, if it You'd continues hope, <clears throat> you would hope that it does get picked up and maybe it was just a one off because but then you, again yeah, if you, you've seen someone get away with just a fifteen yard penalty or spot foul isn't it sorry for mm, pulling him down so yeah you've seen what what impact it could have and it is effectively the greater good for your defense but we'll we'll leave it there for now still thinking of the defensive side of the ball there's mm. a player I've been meaning to talk about for a couple of weeks now based on I think it was two or three weeks ago, Malcolm Jenkins of the New Orleans Saints, he made a play where the receiver caught the ball and he chased it down from behind. He was on the other side of the field. Ah, and punched it out. Um, no, he made the tackle on about the one-yard line, <clears throat> literally sprinted oh, about yes, 30, and the, 40 and the, yards yes, and to stop didn't them. Convert. And they went for it on fourth down and didn't convert. Didn't convert. So because I do he remember. made that tackle, the yes. Saints then got a stop a four and out on the goal line. And he yeah. made just like a great... Just a great hustle play just to come back and make that tackle. And also this week as well, he had a pick six in his game. So great performance. I think he's really showing. It's his third year. I think it was drafted in 2009. So it does seem to be quite common. I know I've seen it on Madden where they have this three years and they'll get good kind of tag to them. But it does seem to be that three years in the league kind of stands you in good stead to start performing like people expected you to. Well, I don't know if that's the adjustment period. I mean, uh, a lot of them come through uh, out of college and they say something like cornerback is one of the most difficult positions to achi- uh, attune to uh, other than quarterback. Why would that be, though? Is that because of all the It's the speed. It's the speed, speed of the game. It's simply the speed of the game, literally. these You're, you're going up against, you know, you come out of college, you think the guys are fast there, they, they, you, add, you add another level up and that's how fast you're... I mean, that's that. if you think about it, you're, you're going in college... College, they might have one or two, uh, one good receiver on their team, and he's going to be the draft pick. Going first round, yeah. Someone like they, Blackman, for example. Yeah, someone like yeah. Blackman. Then you've got the rest of the guys who might make perfectly good either 
uh, special team players or maybe they'll make the practice squads further down the line so therefore sometimes you know you can always just you got that they have the star receiver on the other team other times you know you're going to be taking on teams that are are necessarily weaker than you because the way the college system works so therefore you know your cornerbacks don't get the quite the same testing as they do because then all the cream of the crop is sort of liquidated into the NFL yeah so you imagine you're, you're facing a team of Justin Blackmans and then you're suddenly you're left isolated on a one-on-one and you're doing that all game I'll tell you where I wouldn't like to be a <coughs> cornerback and that would be the NFC South not mm. playing for the Saints <laughs> or, or the Falcons so, so you imagine if you get drafted by like the Bucks or uh, or Carolina as a starting cornerback every year and even actually now say you got drafted by the Panthers every year twice a year you've got to play Jackson and Williams from Tampa Bay yep. you have to play Moore Jimmy Graham Mark Colston from the Saints Julio Jones Roddy White Tony Gonzalez you've got your hands full no oh, you have got your hands full I mean um, that's just the division yeah that is just your vision but I think it's the sense that what do you call it nowadays there's a lot more call for it I mean it's harder as well. I mean, you think about it, the the bump, you've got five yards now, that's all your bump you get. You've got more and more leniency towards a wide receiver giving more space for him to make a reception. There's more, no, sorry, there's less contact. There's more flagging for contact within the principles of even where you are away from the play of the ball. I've seen that a lot cool this year, you know legal contact even though it's from the complete uh, other side of the play of the ball he's throwing it to the right hand side yet they're called illegal contact towards the left hand side of the field I, I, I think literally it's going to take you a year or two I mean that first rookie year will fly on by like you don't know I mean and you just want to be able to keep on top be able to assert yourself with the fact that you can make a few decent plays impress the coaches keep you keep your starting job I think that's the, the main thing you, you can do there and try and learn a little listen to the the more experienced players I mean it's got to be a case where experience meets I guess in, in your third year what you're going to be 24 25 yeah you're still a young man you still got you hopefully you still got your legs you've managed to avoid injury free so, you know, you should be able to... you still got a bit of gusto to you. should be all working in your favour. Yeah, you've got the experience of being Starting around the league for a few yeah. years. Yeah. Got your head screwed on a little bit more. You may have got a decent contract coming straight out of college. Now you're realising that you need to look after yourself if you want to, like, sustain that over a long period yeah, of time. I mean, if you want to be a great player, you don't just take a big money contract and just think <sighs> the work is done. You yeah. kind of, as we were saying earlier... You, you have in. to put it all in. You have to be a Ray Lewis. You, sorry, Mr. Ray Lewis. You have to be a Mr. Lewis. You have to work day in, day out. And every season, when you get older, you have to put in even harder work to try and stay on top of your game. Yes. I mean, as well, the problem is coaches coming in and out as, as uh, freely as they seem to do in the Premier League these days, to keep it on topical there. Yeah. Um, it seems that, you know, you maybe hopefully you get one that sticks around for a couple of years and you might get to learn that system inside and out you know what everyone's going to do right how the linebackers are going to pull how the safeties are going to adjust in this play in this situation you start getting to the play where oh we're in this form i like this form i know how to adjust to this form old oh, man coverage you do your homework you do the film room right what's this guy oh he's got a little and you start to realize like this guy's got a little knack every time he does this i know that's going to be the long bomb up the side of the pitch you know what, if I, once I see that knack, I'll try and keep an eye out for that. And you start to develop uh, techniques and, I guess, you you yourself form habits where you can then put into gameplay the the plans, the strategies, and starting to, to take from that 
big defensive playbook, just sort of munching it down into little bite-sized chunks. That's it. And the more you play under a certain coach, the more you stick into just one playbook. And thinking of great coaches, you have to mention Bill Belichick. Yeah. Especially that New England Patriots defense. How many years now have people been saying that's the worst? Probably about saying it's the worst defense either in the league or it's one of the worst. I, I, in the I'd league. say since last their last years, Super Bowl win. Since their last Super Bowl. Since they lost Harrison at safety and Brewski and people like that. Maybe? Yes, so I'd say since that. I said the last, the last Super Bowl win, and then what is it? About three of them retired. Yeah, something silly like that. But yet somehow they still managed to find a way to win. That, I mean, that's got to be a sign of a great coach, surely, because no matter who he gets into that system, and with the recent acquisition of Talib at cornerback this week, oh, you ran awesome. back for a, an amazing awesome. pick six. How how would you? I don't understand how you drop him. I mean, he's just some people they have ebbs and flows, and you have ups and downs. It's simple as. But I don't think honestly he's one of the sort of people. Yeah, he's had a bit of a he had a bit of a short start to the season, didn't he? I mean. Yeah. He's, but then, I mean, please, you look at that Tampa Bay defence. Everyone was on a short start. You know, what are you going to do? Sell the entire team? I think what you got on him, he just got... You got a lot of it put on him early on because the corners were drafted out into this old-style Tampa 2 defence. Yeah, the cover two. Yeah, the cover two, which, you know, can leave him a little bit overexposed at times. Um, great to stop the run, which they have been all year. Yeah. Look at them. They've been great at stopping the run. What have they been sucky at? Stopping the pass. Yeah. What does Tampa 2 leave to its weakness? Stopping the pass. Yeah, just holes in the in the zone coverage where, where the crossover is where between the, the short and deep. The cross, zones, yeah, yeah, you get the cross. I mean, especially if you're going to go an in and out play. So when you're going to take that diagonal route, you can just chew up yardage like uh, there's no tomorrow. It's just the holes in the, in the defence. People are going to understand that. You're going to be playing a nice basic defence. Great for people to start to to understand their place and everyone can learn it nice and quickly because there's not much to it to form out and it does it is semi effective like I said stops the run I mean if you can run Tampa the Tampa uh, cover two at the right time before you know it, you've got the guys in um, third down the other team on third down so hopefully from there on then you can go enjoy your deep uh, deep set or third down package and that's when you can break out the more nickels and and um, the dime sets, you know, to protect the passing. Would you say it's falling down because of the evolution of the tight end as well? Because a lot of the the medium distance slant routes or crossing routes, that's where you're going to have your tight end going predominantly. You don't tend to see them going amazingly deep. Obviously, occasionally you do see the likes of Jimmy Graham or Gronkowski. They will go for 50-yard pass, but that's not every play. Their bread and butter routes are going to be those short little slant and corner routes. Yes, and also it's the fact that there's more emphasis on passing to your running back nowadays so passing to them out on the flat yeah break it, breaking the, the flat flats and screens because literally you can't defend on that because once you split out onto a Tampa 2 when you have one corner once you play off their zone and it's broken and you put a screen through that and put a blocking front out you literally you've got two zones where you've got the outside exterior linebacker uh, holding his sort of mid mid interior and then you've got the corner, who's already going to be backing off into a sort of mid-deep zone anyway. Um, you put a screen pass under that, and you're almost guaranteed eight yards before a defender can even intercept. Mm -hmm. And then that's before you break through. On average, what is it? You've got the wide receiver, the tight end, and three linemen will break out on a, a, a screen. A screen, yeah. So that's you've got to get through five defenders. So on average, you've got two safeties crashing down. 
a corner and then you'd have your defensive end if he's quick enough to make the adjustment so it's going to be five on five and that so that counts for all defenders and all blockers which basically leaves the running back to uh to if he's like i said if he's got some feet if he, he can use his brains you know he can then eke out either another big run or at least a, a first down out of it so there are ways to easily every single time get a first down on the Tampa Tampa 2 defence you're going to love is. and you're going to love this link thinking of great running backs CJ Spiller <laughs> Buffalo Bills I was checking the stats again this week because I quite often do we, everyone knows how I love the Bills and I praise it. people like CJ Spiller to the hilt would you believe this year what do you reckon his average yards per carry is Oh, he's mental. I mean, even this week was, what, 6.7, was it, this week? Yeah, he's had, in total, he's had, I think it's 113 carries for 700-and-something yards. Wow. So, again, we're, we're talking the high 6-point-somethings. Yeah, 6.6 yards. 6.6 yards. Average but, per carry. Oh, yeah, I know. I, I, I couldn't believe that because this week it was it was 6.7. I was looking, it was, it was another little snap, as uh, you'll find out later on as our offensive... Impact, impact players and must admit he was definitely on a short list because of that yeah 90 yards rushing and I think he had 30-40 yards receiving as well yeah I mean the guy is impressive he really is there's no other two ways around it because of course he is number two back he's not even a number one back he's a number two back no Freddie Jackson for all intents and purposes will be the number one maybe until next year it's the way it's worked it's, it's been unfortunate with the way Jackson's come down with an injury CJ Spiller's had to come to the forefront. He did again last year. I think this mm. is the thing, right? If if Jackson hadn't been injured last year or this, there would have been no doubt in my mind that Fred Jackson should and always be the number one back. I've been praising him ever since the days when we used to have Marshall Lynch and Jackson came in under him. I was like, well, why aren't we starting Jackson? Because Jackson was performing better than Lynch. And he's just a beast. And now, But because he's been injured, I do have doubts in my mind now. It's like, well, CJ Spiller's coming through. Wasn't sure about at first because he was obviously sharing time. They weren't mm. utilising him enough. But he's just a phenomenal player. The feet, the cuts, just so quick. I mean, I think the, well, the one problem with CJ Spiller is, of course, as, uh, as anyone who's watching the live feed, the commentator was talking about, he has far too much incense to push to the outside. The guy has got to get his head down, run through the tackles, go through, you know, go north and south. Guy's got to learn to run north and south a bit more. He loves to push it outside, try and extend the play and avoid the tackles, which I can understand because, let's face it, as a running back, you're getting hit a lot in the game anyway. Yeah. You want to try and reduce the, the, the interior hits where you're going to be pile-drived up by about three or four guys. But sometimes he's losing a yard by bouncing outside, trying to play outside the wide receivers, because you haven't got the biggest wide receivers, really. They're not big blockers. I mean, you look at... No, our, our receiving core is, is similar to what Jacksonville were trying to build in the looking for tall, quick receivers. Yeah. Because a passing game, Fitzpatrick, we didn't... To be fair, we didn't we didn't go and get him for his deep ball passing. And Changeli's offense is based around a lot of short, quick slants or, again, crosses, exactly. things like that. But you, so. haven't, you haven't got, like, a, a Megatron who's two, 210 pounds of pure meat and muscle who's going up against like corners of 170, 180 pounds and we just beast them all day in a block. No, you know? but we do have the Joker, a.k.a. Steve Johnson. <laughs> Steve E. Johnson, sorry. But um, So that's the my only problem is someone's just got to maybe, you know, running back coach just instill into him the north-south running just a little bit more because then I think if he can push that more into his running game, then, yeah, I think dominant, dominant back 
would be a great place to have him. But here's a small counter for that, just briefly before we, we move on. Does he need to adjust his running style if he's averaging 6.6 yards a carry? Because the more he runs up the gut, the more he's going to run into tackles and the, obviously the worse his average is going to get. So is it not more beneficial for the team for him to keep doing what he's doing and getting a 6.6 yard average? Yes, I guess in the stat-wise it works. but um, in Practically. Practically, sometimes yes and no because sometimes with averages the problem is you can bounce outside at the right time and get a 20-yard gain. Yeah. And then sometimes you bounce out at the wrong time and you lose two yards when you needed third and one and you're suddenly going to fourth and three. Yeah. So it depends. There was an incident like this 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 week where I believe it was a, a third and third and two, third and three. It wasn't quite inches or one yard. And so I think, to be honest, the play did was supposed to be an outside stretch. But he stretched it a little bit further again, going round the, t- the the pulling tight end. Yeah. And then, w- whereas if he'd actually cut back inside the tight end, there was the two or three yards he needed. Right. He pulled it outside the tight end. The tight end lost his contain because he was expecting it to come back inside. As it says, you're pushing your blocker out towards the sideline, right into the running path of Spiller, and lost two yards. And then that's turned a first down into a punt. So sometimes, but yeah, there's other times when it's absolutely exquisite because he knows he pushed it outside and with those quick feet, bang, he's suddenly gone and it is like 20 yards down the field. And we love watching 20-yard-plus runs because they're just awesome to watch. Absolutely, yeah, and they tend to hit him a lot on the, the screen as well, as we were mm, saying, because yeah. if you can get him in, great if you catch, get him in space... Great hands on him, great yeah, hands absolutely. on him. absolutely. So with the offence in mind, let's go to your offensive impact Player. That's right, my offensive impact players of the week. Go for it. It's our favourite times. So we love in these awards. So starting with, uh, I always start with a silver medal for people who haven't ever listened before. So it was someone who who took some notoriety but didn't quite make it as our our Mr Numero Uno for the week. And I'd like to give second place for the offensive impact player to uh, Mr Colin Kaepernick of the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Ah, interesting choice. A very low-scoring game, so I think you'll have to expand on that one for me. I mean, the, uh, it wasn't too low-scoring, to be honest. It was a decent amount of points put up. I mean, it was low-scoring fair if you're a Chicago Bear fan. But the guy put over 200 yards uh, through the air. He put two um, two touchdowns as well onto that. He put some yards on the ground. But this is a guy who came in and we didn't really know much about. I mean, he came out of the University of Nevada. And he basically sat there as um, got drafted to be the backup to Alex Smith. Yeah. This start of the season, he wasn't a pre-season challenge. He was just the backup. Yeah. Um, Alex Smith, of course, goes out last week. He comes in. He steps in. He does what he needs to. I mean, they don't lose the game. They get they get a tie out of it. Mm-hmm. But coming in under circumstances, uh, certain circumstances that are unfortunate, the concussion and all, and he comes in. He maintains the game enough. This week, obviously, full game centered on him. He comes in. They give him a new game plan set to him. He was very much one of these running quarterbacks. So yeah. he's very quick, very athletic. Uh, a lot of people questioning where he can throw the ball, and he showed that this week. And I think that's why it made an impact on me because I was sitting there. I must admit, I was playing him for more the Cam Newton, you know, get flustered in the pocket and I run out, you know, try and look for that pass. Oh, it's come out all wobbly, but never mind. I managed to make up for it by doing a blazing 20-yard run with my feet next next play, mm. you know. 
but he didn't. He came out and he, he reserved himself as a you know passing quarterback. Yes, he did have to break out once the the protection died, and he you you saw his athleticism. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was nice to see that he could stand in there. He could be the the passer that they wanted, the game uh, manager, the game manager that they're looking for in like Alex Smith to do. So I was really impressed just with the fact that rookie coming in, not even a sort of like you're saying a challenging rookie for the the starter's job. This was a just he's our backup, yeah. and the backup came in and did his job. It seems funny that a team like with the weapons that San Francisco 49ers have got in Randy Moss, Mario Manningham, Vernon Davis, hey, uh, Michael Crabtree. Crabtree, that's it. Not what it seems strange that you have a game managing quarterback when you have that much talent at the receiver position. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't because what they do is it's where some teams. I'd say like the the Saints and Falcons in in a way are like that, where they'll go to outscore the opponent because they're not overly sure on their defense. Yeah, I think Chicago, um, Chicago, um, San Francisco were more enough capable of knowing that they could shut Chicago down. So yeah. get the right team out first. So I think that they had enough faith in their defense to sit there and go, "We'll manage our side of the ball. You son, you manage yours." will win this game hands down. And it showed because it was something like 31-7 or something like that. You know, it was it was nice and easy win and uh, it was quite comfortable for them at the end of the day. So it wasn't too bad. No worries. So who wins this week's Offensive Impact Player? All right. Well, I think um, for the Megatron Award of the week, Mr. Megatron himself has to go to Gronk himself. I mean, really? Gronkowski? Really? Yes, of course it did. Did you see... 59 points on the board for New England and the guy came in and he was just... I mean, I know Hernandez is still technically a bit iffy so he has become like the number one tight end out of this two-set package but the guy done it again. He did it in London. He's done it again. The guy consistently does it. To impact, we constantly are talking about it and I think someone like that, I mean, it was over 200 yards. It was about two touchdowns. It was great to watch. I mean, the guy literally drew headlines towards himself by literally putting it forward. And we love to see him spike it. We love the Gronk spike. I mean, for this, the impact was the, the buzz. I loved watching it. I don't like the Patriots, I must admit. Uh, You're not on your own there. Bilicek is a great, great coach because he manages to instill the right belief and sense in the players and he gets them to work when he needs them to. But I hate the man, really. But literally, I can't help but sit there. You put Gronk in a, in a New England Patriots shirt. I still want to shout, Gronk, Gronk. Gronk, Gronk, Gronk. He just has that effect on you. That you he just has want to that cheer effect on me that I want to cheer for him. I'm sorry. There's nothing else more than watching a tight end like that. This new assertion of tight end, this new breed of tight end coming about, it's exciting to watch and I love it. Yeah, the whole Jimmy Graham versus Gronkowski this, battle. This whole yeah. idea which, you know, Gonzalez started years and years back. I guess Antonio Gates really started it. Didn't he? Well, years Tony Gonzalez ago. would have been the first. He would have been the first. And he came, came along. And then, yeah. But that, they, those sort of guys were the first two. They were like, oh, they were alone. Let's let them do their thing. This whole, I'm built like a basketball player, but I'm going to play American football. Yeah. Brilliant. Love Let's, it. If, if Gronkowski can have half the career that Gonzalez has had. Oh. Jesus, <laughs> you know, you, some some watch wide receivers would wet themselves over having stats like that. Yeah, Gonzalez becoming a player with ten thousand receiving yards now for a tight Crazy. end as well. Crazy, literally. You ask the eighties tight ends, and they're sitting, there, they're just sitting there scratching their heads, going, "Say what?" Yeah, I used to block because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, great performance, and this week I went in a slightly different direction for my offensive impact player. This week, I went for the true definite definition of impact. Offense is struggling. They have been for a couple of weeks. We were talking earlier about how he's not a great quarterback in Blaine Gabbert. So this week I went with Chad Henney as my offensive impact yeah. player because 
He came off the bench. He completely turned that game around. And this is what we're saying. It's about impact. He didn't win the game, but he is Definitely good at won the game because he took it to overtime. overtime. Should, it, should not have been yards. taken to overtime. Yeah, no. absolutely. It's awesome. 354 yards, four touchdowns. Admittedly, he managed to avoid an interception thanks to a drop-in at the end <laughs> yeah. of overtime, which he got very lucky with, having gone for about two or three defenders' hands at the time. So his stats look a little bit better because of that. But I think it's, it's, just coming it, off the bench and... Shining like that, really. Yeah, I mean, fair play, and you almost sort of saw his players step up. I mean, you look like Cecil Shorts there when his lovely catch turn, absolute jet sprint over. He just the way he took off was just Yum. phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and who did he beat? I mean, was it? Um, I think on Shorts' touchdown when I watched the, I was watching some of the highlights earlier. I think he had. He obviously beat his cornerback in the Joseph initial... Was it Joseph, did he beat? I'm not sure if he beat Joseph on the initial coverage, but I know he then had a linebacker on him. By the time he'd made the catch, he had to cut inside a linebacker, and then the safety just couldn't but get there was, a, there was the, the, You're sitting there going, safeties and, court, uh, and cornerbacks aren't slow players, and just made them look slow. Yeah, so did Justin Blackman as well. Yeah, I know we just briefly about... mentioned him earlier, but he had a great his score this great week. Great game. I mean, he should oh, have had a score in, yeah. the, was in the first half where he caught it away. He kind of caught it in the end zone he as he caught was diving it and then the guy it and as he rolled over the and guy then, stripped course, it, kind of stripped it out. Yeah, basically the impact fumbled it out. You could almost say he had possession and if the guy had held him up, it would have been a touchdown. But the guy knocked him to the ground and the fumbleitis sort of occurred as he smacked his face on the ground. But the touchdown itself, was it a 50-60 yard oh, play beautiful. ended up? It beautiful. Caught the ball after about 20 yards and... Um, Managed to just bounce off two defenders as well, didn't he? Yeah. Just unbelievable. Bounce off two strength. defenders. Strength. Showing the strength. And then, of course, the speed. After he bounced off those two tackles, he just flew. Yeah. And just, oh, man, what a what a performance. But let's move on to the defensive impact player. Absolutely. So, our Mr. Ray Lewis Award, grantly named after Mr. Ray Lewis for just being the ultimate defensive impact player. Player! So, I'm going to start with my silver medalist again. And this is going to go to someone who has the most awesome name in all of football. I don't care. Whatever you say. And that is Captain Munnerlyn of the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> yeah, that is a great name. I heard that at the weekend. I remember thinking the same thing myself. Now, the reason why I, I, I picked this guy out was... Um, one name did really think sort of step up for that me. was the impact for you that the was the defensive was... impact I heard his name and that was it <laughs> you called captain I'm taking notice yeah you're going to be number um, two Pete, regardless of your stats <laughs> no I mean, he, he only had two tackles and he, but he had that pick six but yeah. I sort of what I watched the way that the Carolina defence watched it really stood up to I mean Josh Freeman and the uh, Tampa Bay offence seem to have found their rhythm in the last five weeks and have been disregarding all makes of defence around the league, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they really stood the test of time. They really made it difficult. Um, the Carolina... OK, the Carolina offence did not make it easy on themselves because there was a load of mistakes that they could have gone and won the game. But the defence really, again, had to turn itself around and um, keep it uh, keep keep the game close. Um, there's lots of players that sort of came up. There's uh, There was two interceptions, I believe, in the game. There was a forced fumble... Um, there's people. I think there's about. I was looking at the list, and there was about three of them in double-figure tackles. Really? So they really were. They really were going for it. Yeah. So I, I, I've sort of picked Captain Mullen here uh, as the sort of the, the beacon there to sort of show off because he had the pick six, you know, which ultimately lend the score to let them get into overtime. I mean, without his score, let's face it, Cam Newton would have bungled them to to what 
only 14 points so they would have lost it on, on the bat anyway so uh, second place goes to him but also it's kind of in kudos towards the entire Carolina defense who I kind of have to apologize because I did slate them I think in week three or four of our podcast I did kind of slate them really bad but that was them standing up to you as I'm finding this year I say a lot of things and I make some bold predictions which I'm going to stop doing now because <laughs> I've just been made to look like an absolute mug um, thinking I'll go for a bold prediction it's kind of reasonable but it's out there at the same time but it's looked absolutely horrendous so that, that blowout that Baltimore were going to have of Pittsburgh because <laughs> Ben Roethlisberger weren't going to play it was a blowout by three points in the end oh big blowout big blowout but yeah so let's move on to um, defensive impact so, player absolutely the man who gets to actually hold the title of Mr Ray Lewis for the week and that is going to go to Geno Atkins of the Cincinnati Bengals. Wow, with all the players you could have had this week. Olden mm. Smith, five and a half sacks. Yep. Also, you had Von Miller, who mm-hmm. had six tackles, three sacks, two forced fumbles. Yep. And so why did we go with this choice? I went for this choice because basically he was the uh, the standout for the Cincinnati Bengals defence. And again, it was going back on the fact is that I ripped these guys off. The Bungles, as I uh, sometimes refer to them as, and I'm sure a lot of people do. But I ripped them off. I kind of wasn't impressed with the defence. It was supposed to be a, a decent pre-season defence and they all let us down at the beginning of the year and I'm sitting there going, oh dear, they've gone back to being the Bungles again. And then this guy sort of, he had the best game, he had six tackles, he had two sacks and a forced fumble and he was the number one um, defensive player for the week uh, for the Bengals. But okay, yes, they were playing Kansas City. I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about that. But... The impact that it had, because you saw that actually um, the Cincinnati offense was having problems with the um, with the Kansas City defense. It was actually at the start of the game that first quarter looked a little bit leeway there, you know, yeah. teetering, tottering. But then it seemed to be the defense kind of sat there, and went, "It's our game." And then basically there was one point where it was a very short third down. This guy got a, uh, one of his two sacks. Um, put that straight dead um, and put them out of a, even a field goal. Yeah. So that is, I mean, that's an impact there because you taking points off the board. And then again, a late clutch situation. Clutch situation. Another point where I think it was early on in the scoring. So I think it was back when it was something like 14-3. Kansas had finally managed to find another drive, getting them going. Bang, the guy produces the forced fumble and again stops it dead. So that's how they end up winning. I think they won 26-6 or something like that, you know, because Kansas City couldn't get started again after that. Because every time that Kansas City got a drive, kind of started, this guy stopped it. Excellent. Well, congratulations on being the Mr. Ray Lewis Award winner for Week 11. We're just going to quickly finish off now because I can see we're um, running very shy of time. It's time for our swing, swing, swing of the week, which we know our good friend Harry likes. So these are for you, buddy. Where are you going to start with us this week? Also this week, Week 12, Turkey Day. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone in the States. Yep. Hope you have a great day with your family. Enjoy the time off. Um, it's a great time of year for you, I know, and we're grateful because we get so many Thursday games starting off um, <laughs> at half five tomorrow evening for us. Three great games just quickly on Turkey Day, I think. I don't know whether any of them would necessarily be your swing, but Houston at Detroit, Washington-Dallas, great divisional game going oh. on there. And as it's at Dallas, here's an interesting stat I picked up this week. Tony Romo does not lose at home in the month of November. Yeah, no, they were saying that. Mr. November. Yeah, that's about all he is good for. No, that is pretty much. To be fair, something else I picked up as well because I was looking into it. I thought Tony Romo, I give him a lot of stick, 
But I saw heard this. I was like, he's he's never lost at home in November. I was like, well, well when, when was he drafted? Turns out he wasn't drafted. He was an undrafted player in 2003. Mm. Yet he's been the franchise quarterback for the last, well, since since Bledsoe went out in 2006. So for the last yeah. six years, he's all been on Romo's shoulders for an undrafted player. He's actually yeah. not doing that badly. No, he's not doing that badly at all, to be honest. I mean, like I said, back into I think they, they had an interview with him back in 2004. He was going to quit football and become a golf pro because literally he was earning more money doing it. <laughs> wow, yeah. Okay, well, we're kind of glad he didn't because although I like to slate him, the game wouldn't, well, the Cowboys wouldn't be the same without him. Certainly, they may have got to the playoffs because someone wouldn't have fumbled that <laughs> in the playoffs. But <laughs> we said it, Cowboy <laughs> fans. Well, yeah, come get it. us. Exactly. Come get us. We're not the only ones to say it. You need to check out Dave Gemma Damashek's NFL because he's also done a special one. If What if Romo hadn't fumbled that uh, snap in the playoffs? But mm-hmm. moving swiftly, I'm sorry, dude. I kind of took it away there. Your swings of the week. Uh, my one is going to personally go for uh, what people are kind of calling the wooden spoon bowl which is the, the Carolina and Philadelphia. I must admit, I just like this to be, you know, what are you going to get out of it? When you have two people that aren't really doing well in the season, you do tend to find that these games can really prove one person to uh, to sort of stand up and say, look, I'm going to make a season of this. And I'd really like to see the new rookie Foles really sort of assert himself and sit in there going, you know, I think, I think they're going to rest thick again just to... Really, I, I I would have thought they would. I I'd like to think that they give Foles kid another shot at it at someone like Carolina. Yeah, the, not as good at as home. Teams. At yeah. home, yeah, not away in in FedEx. At you know in uh, enemy territory, actually give the kid a decent shot at home. Yeah, you know, just hope the captain doesn't have his way with him. <laughs> right, to be honest, to be honest, it, it's I I think. It's, it's the offensive line, really. If, if they want all, all, all turn up and earn their steak dinner, really. I, I, I honestly think Foles has the weapons in front of him. Cam hasn't got his head out from a certain dark um, orifice that um, he needs to, as was shown in the Tampa Bay game, which he should have really gone, picked up his team and won. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd like to see, give the kid a break. Let's see what he can do. Even if he's, you know, goes back to Fick the next week, or even if, you know... Fix starts the game and they bring the kid in. I'd like to see because I think watch it he can then add to his um, sort of promise for next year. Now I, I think this is going to be a nice gritty battle one. It could be another OT game I think. Yeah. So I'd like to go. I'm going to go just hit it on about a 58. Yeah. I'm going to go for something odd like that. I'm going to go for 58-42 in the favour of the Philadelphia Eagles and that's my swing of the week. Okay, my swing of the week is the New England Patriots at the New York Jets. The way New England are on fire at the moment, and because of the fact, quite simply, that I hate the Jets more than any other team on the planet. More than Patriots? More than the Patriots, yep. I even tweeted, I said this week, I said, Dear Patriots, please can you smash the Jets because they are the one team that I hate more than you. Love a diehard Bills fan, so... (laughs) (laughs) I think with the way they're playing at the moment, Sanchez, yeah, he had an okay game this week, but really all season, we know he's not really been much. They're not going to use Tim Tebow, so why they signed him mm. and spent all that money on him is beyond me at this stage. When Rex, and especially when players in their offensive line are saying, oh, he can't play football. Yeah, well done, mate. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I think 
I'm going to go with New England smashing the Jets. Six. It's on prime time, so not as big a smash as I was going to go for. I was thinking maybe 80-20, but because it's a prime time game, I'm going to go for 65-35, a little bit more moderate in the Patriots' favour because the way that offence is playing. Jets' defence, losing Revers has had a massive effect on that Divas. It's only one player, but with everything I think he brings to the side with the leadership he shows, not just the fact, the pure ability as well. When you have Rivas and Cromartie together, they're brilliant cornerbacks to have on your defence, but when you're having to rely heavily on one of them, it's not quite the same. So, for the Patriots there, and just quickly to finish off, sorry, because I know again, sorry, with the time-wise, <laughs> got to talk about these games, can't believe I've overlooked them, but looking at it, we have two repeat games from the playoffs in the NFC last year. Mm. with the the grounds are reversed so they're playing we're obviously in the opposite to last year so you have the 49ers at New Orleans as opposed to the other way around last year yep. and you have Green Bay at Giants as opposed to obviously Giants went into Green Bay and won so what are you thinking of those two games? I'm liking them I'm thinking San Francisco um, like I said the uh, Kaepernick has really impressed me so I, I, I put a nice little uh uh, 60% swing towards San Fran I think in that game I know it's under the dome so the kids not going to have any weather to worry about and then watch quick going into uh, New York Green Bay oh dear here come the Cheeseheads and they are hungry for giant blood yeah and with Eli Manning, Manning needs oh. to step up this weekend I mean if if Giants going to win literally Manning has got to come off his vacation and uh, you know that uh, that sort of clone he's using to impersonate Manning <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I mean the dummy that. Oh, his pretend- other brother that no one knows. I that no one knows Manning. exactly the yeah, one who yeah. uh, <laughs> who's who's stepping in and pretending to be him on the Sundays yeah. and throwing for like the hundred yards and no touchdowns. Yeah, he's got to come back off his off his holidays and actually you know play because the city of New York needs something to step up. And what better than the New Jersey? I'm mean, sorry, the New uh, the New York. No, you Giants. said it right the first time. There's only one team that plays in the state of New York. And do you know who they are? Oh dear, we set them off now. <laughs> the Buffalo Bills. That's right. So, well, I hope you've enjoyed this week. Remember, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, bullhawksnest at gmail dot com. Tweet me at Adri Mallows, or there's also comments and feedback section on the website. That's all from us, Marcus. As always, thank you very much for your company, young man. Thank you. And take care.